Awesome. So good. I feel I've made new friends here, and, uh, and I feel like, you know, we're family, and uh, I'm just the English auntie you didn't know about. And, uh, you know, it's good that auntie comes every now and again and just kicks your butt a little bit. So that's kind of what I want to do, and I hope, hope that that has blessed your world. And, you know, those that have got resources, you'll take me home with you, and that English auntie will be in your car, and she'll be in your kitchen, and you'll, she'll, that little voice will just be there, just reminding you that you have an English auntie. And I promised on the first night to show you a picture of my family, and we do have it, and I forgot in the last session. And so you should see them because they are very cute. So I think we have my children on a picture somewhere. Are they going to appear? <laughs> this is me. Hey. There they are. That's my very handsome hubby, Steve. And that is Hope Cherish. Uh, she is a miracle child, because I was told I couldn't have them. I'll touch on that in the session. And that is Noah Brave. And uh, she's now nine, and he is six, and they're both awesome. Noah lost his tooth yesterday, so he never wants to ring me, but he rang me to tell me I owe him money. So, yeah. Yeah. Takes just after his father. So that's my family. Uh, we also have a dog who's not on that picture. I'm not that sad that I carry around pictures of my dog. I'm sorry if you do. But, you know, my dog love just hasn't gone there yet. So he just poos too much in places he shouldn't. And so, you know, I'm not ready to carry the picture yet <laughs> until he's better trained. <laughs> It was my husband's third child. I was like, okay, you can have a child, but you are carrying around those poo bags and collecting after your dog. Because I did the diapers. It's all about you now and the dog. So it's kind of the way it goes with our dog love. He's awesome, though. I do love him. If you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, he makes an appearance every now and again, usually when he's done something naughty. Okay, well, this is my last session here with the conference, which I have loved being a part of, and it's been a privilege, and I actually get to be with the church this weekend, so, uh, so I actually have to, preach, I have to preach four times today, so hopefully this voice will uh, hold out, and then twice tomorrow, and then I jump on a plane after the morning service to get back home to my family. So it's a quick trip, but you know what? God can do a lot in a quick trip. Thank you so much. I don't know where that sniffly nose came from, but it did. All right. So on the first evening, I helped you own it. This morning, I hope I helped you get over it. And in this session, I want to help you wait for it. This message was born out of a circumstance that happened to me beyond my control. It's funny how God uses just the everyday things of life to teach us stuff. And so I was um, away in America ministering, and I had been with some friends, 
and uh, I, I think I was with you guys in Illinois, and so it's all your fault. And uh, I was with our friends, and we'd just finished ministry in Illinois, and we'd gone down to our hotel in Chicago. We were flying out the next morning, and it was the middle of the night, and I'd been away on this particular trip now for three weeks from home, which is a long time for me, but my family were with me, so that was all good, and we were eager to get back. Middle of the night, the phone rings, and, uh, and it's never good when your phone rings in the middle of the night, and it's exceptionally not good when it's your PA who knows you do not ring me in the middle of the night, okay, unless someone, you know, desperately needs me, you don't ring me, so I knew when I saw her number flash up, she needed to get hold of us, so it was the middle of the night, she rings, and she said, have you watched the news, so I said, no, she said, well, you're not going anywhere tomorrow, I said, well, what do you mean we're not going anywhere, she said, you can't go anywhere, she said, you need to go on the news, she said, there's been a volcanic eruption in Iceland, a volcano has erupted, and there's a huge ash cloud, and it's causing complete chaos. All flights are canceled, all transportation is on a lockdown, and you know, and I, I needed to get hold of you because you're going to be thinking you're getting up to fly home, and you're not. So I'm like, okay, is there any good news coming? She's like, well, no, not really. She's like, I have tried, and you have to know something about my PA. I do have the best PA in the world. She's called Shirley, and Shirley can move mountains. She is amazing. And, uh, and so when Shirley says she's tried, I mean, she's not like she had a little go. She's tried. So she had tried every which way to get us home. She'd tried every avenue, boat, train, plane, swimming, everything. <laughs> And, and she said, you know, there's just no, everyone, because everybody's flights were canceled, everybody was backlogged. So they just put everybody on a system of reissuing tickets, and that was your date. You just got the date for your new ticket, and that was it. You had no say in the matter. My new date for my ticket was in two weeks' time. So here I am after three weeks in America. Now I'm being told I can't fly home for another two weeks. So that's going to be a five-week break from America. My women's conference is happening that, the week a few weeks after that. So like my team at home are like, okay, we need you to come home. So we were stranded in America for two weeks. The only bigger problem with that was at the end of those two weeks was the day I was due back in America. I was going home for two weeks, then coming back to America to do a friend's conference for her to be away for another week. So this now meant that I potentially was going to be away for over seven weeks from our church. So it was not good news. And so I tried to get a good spirit and get over my bad attitude. And we kind of resigned ourselves to two weeks in America extra. We rang uh, one of my dear friends in Nashville and said, okay, you've got house guests for two weeks. We kind of moved in with her and hung out there. And and, uh, and then two weeks came and my family went home and I had to stay. And so, you know, you just eventually, you know, now I've got to stay, see through my commitments. And so eventually, you know, as they're going off and flying home, I'm crying, like, take me with you. Uh, and, and so I stay. My staff are Googling me because they've forgotten what I've looked like. You know, it's like, you know, it's just a nightmare. It's just so inconvenient. So eventually I'm on the plane to go home, finally. You know, after all this extended period, I sit down, seatbelt on, the relief. I was like, finally. Sit down, and the captain says over the Tannoy system, ladies and gentlemen, I have an announcement to make. Uh, this, the volcano that erupted a month ago has had a second eruption. <laughs> yeah. I'm sat on the plane going, what? <laughs> I am about to lose the plot. 
And then he said this. He said, you know, but I just want to let you know, I will get you there. I will get you there. But we're going to have to go the long way around. And when he said it, the Spirit of God said to me, Charlotte, there are times in life when I will get you there, but you're going to have to go the long way around. And I want to speak to you today about the long way around, about the journey that some of you are on right now, which you didn't expect to be on, the delays that you didn't expect to have to deal with, the kind of agony of waiting that you didn't think would be part of the deal with God, and the disappointment you feel, I want to minister right into that void in your life and let you know that God is the God, not just of the suddenly, but is the God of the long way around. See, we have so many messages that inspire us about the God of the suddenly, and I preach them, and I believe them, and I get excited about them, but I have to stand back and go, but there's a God that we don't often preach about. There's a side of God we don't talk about enough, and that is the God that doesn't just do suddenlies, he also does slowlies, because we don't want to talk about that side of God, because that's really annoying. And that's really frustrating, and that doesn't fit with our plans for our life. But the fact is, God is the God of both. I read my Bible, and I read how in some stories in the Bible, God would say to one of his mighty warriors, you know what? He'd say to Gideon, all you have to do, Gideon, is you just have to stand around with a load of jars, and some guys smash your jars, that's it, and all the enemy are going to run away, and you take the plunder home. Good deal. Good day. And then I read that the same God would have Joshua on the front line in a battle, fighting so long and so hard, he prays a prayer that makes no sense, because you do when you're tired, and says, God, just keep the sun still, because I need more light to fight. I love the spirit that said, God, don't get me out of here, just give me more light. In other words, I'll keep going if that's what I have to do to get the victory. But he kept Joshua fighting for longer when God could have just said, oh yeah, we've had a long day. Enough's enough. I'll just blow on them. They're all wiped out. God can do that. God is the God that can tell people to just walk around a building and then, you know, on the last time round, give a little shout and all the walls come down. And yet with other people, they would have to scale the walls and climb the walls and fight the battles. God is the God of both. He does suddenlies and he does slowlies. And we have to love the God of both instead of applaud the God of one and tolerate the God of the other. Or we will never build a life that is Christ-like. And so I'm going to show you in this last session with you God that demonstrates his power through both of these stories that you're about to hear. This is the two stories that I'm going to refer to are two stories, two different groups of people, but they both needed the same miracle. And God decides through the way that he works to do these two miracles in very different ways. One comes suddenly and one is very, very, very seemingly out of time 
and slowly. And it's so often that there are more people in this room, I'll tell you now, there are more people in this room on the long way round than are here with the suddenlies. There are more people in this room on the long way round and that's why this message must live and must be preached and you must take what you get today and pass it on to the girlfriend who didn't even come because she's so disappointed that she's on a long way round. She thinks God's forgotten her. It's a lie from the pit of hell and we've got to listen today and take seed to sow into hearts that are despondent and feel dejected and feel ignored and say, God has not forgotten you. There is purpose in your pain. Okay, so let me show you quickly how Jesus did it suddenly. This is pretty cool because this is the, you know, this is the Jesus we want, right? This is the Jesus we all go, woohoo, Jesus. It's in Luke 7, verse 11, it says this. It says, Jesus raises a widow's son. So here's the story. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd came from the town that was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. And then he went to the coffin, touched it, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up, began to talk to his mama. And Jesus gave him back to his mother and then went about his day. Oh, happy day. (laughs) I mean, this is the Jesus. We're like, yeah, Jesus. I mean, that day, all we know is Jesus was passing through. All we know about this woman was that she was in the middle of a ceremony, a burial ceremony for her son. We don't even know that this woman was a follower of Jesus. We don't even know that she was a believer. We don't know she had any inclination to even believe for a miracle because it was a done deal. She was at the funeral. The whole thing was organized. And Jesus just happens to pass by on a particular day. And his heart just happens to go out to her. And he just happens to walk up to her. She didn't ask him. We don't read that she went after Jesus saying, Jesus, Jesus, help me. She's just getting on with her business. And he happens to go and touches the coffin. And in an instant, the dead boy sits up, chats like he's just had a little nap, and they carry on their day. Their life is completely restored, turned around in an instant. A little bit like somebody giving you a gift. And all of a sudden, you weren't expecting it, and and you get this gift, and it's like a miracle. And God gave her that day a gift, and he unwrapped a gift for her, and he touched the coffin, and, and the coffin was opened, and out came an amazing miracle. We love that God. That's the God we want. We want to say, I'm in debt. Send me an instant. I'm sick. Heal me now. Ah, 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 my husband's away from you. Bring him back next, you know, next week's going to be too late now. 
You know, God, you know, I didn't see that this was going to happen this way, so resolve it now. And God is the God that will do that and responds to that. But God sometimes needs to teach us some things that instance will not teach you. If every time your child asks you for a $10 note, you say, absolutely, no questions asked. Here you go. You will have a spoiled, not understanding the value of money child. And if every time we cry out to God, we get our instance, we will be a spoil, not understanding the things of God believers. And so God in his grace and in his mercy, Jesus that day reaches out to a family that don't even know him and he extends to them a miracle. You'll often find that God does suddenlies for people that don't really know him more than he does for those that have known him longer. Some of you remember when you first got saved, how was it that every time you prayed, you got an answer? Do you remember that? He's like, you pray and God would simply fulfill your prayer to teach you, I'm real. You can trust me. But the more you journey, the more he expects you to trust him. And so you would think, wouldn't you, though, that sometimes, you know, God, you know, if you're my mate, you know, God, if we're friends, you're going to come through for me. You know, you know, God, you know, if I serve you, shouldn't you come through for me? Well, I think that's what the next family thought. I think they thought that they were well in with Jesus. I think they thought they were tight. They were his buddies. So when they requested him to help them out, they were not ready for what came next. And I'm going to read you the story in John 11. And I'm going to read it from the message. So it might take a while for you to follow. But I'm going to go through this and break it down to show you what the long way round is all about. And this is the story of the death of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was Jesus' friend. So you would think, wouldn't you, when Jesus' friend needed a miracle, Jesus would show up. I mean, he'd drop everything and he would say, absolutely, that is my buddy. I am on my way. Yeah, not what happened. It says in John 11, first verse, a man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. They were close. You know, you don't wipe someone's feet with your hair unless you have a relationship. Well, I don't advise you do anyway. You know, there was a closeness here. These were people he knew. And so it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Master, listen to this, the way the message puts it. Master, the one you love so very much is sick. How many of you have prayed those kind of prayers? Sent word to Jesus. Master, the one that works so hard for you is sick. Hello. I mean, we don't say it, but what we mean is you owe me. I'm the good girl around here. I mean, you know, you need to show up for moi if you're going to show up for her. Master, the one you love so very much is sick. Now you need to be ready for what comes next. Verse 4. When Jesus got the message, see, it's not that Jesus hasn't got your message. It's not that your prayer didn't get through. There was not a blockage on your line. He's not busy. He didn't not pick up his voicemail. He got, he got it. The, the message got through. 
When Jesus got the message, he said, listen, this sickness is not fatal. It will, however, become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. See, oftentimes, we don't hear the message that gets sent back. All we know is that God didn't respond how we asked him to respond. But maybe, just maybe, he sent a message back that said, it's not fatal. It's going to be an occasion for my glory. It might not work out like you thought it would work out, but I will be glorified through it. It will become useful. It will become something of purpose from your pain. There's a message that came back, but it's so easy to not get the message because we're so concerned with the mess that we find ourselves in. And the message came back. It will become an occasion. Jesus loved Martha. See, his love for them was not in question. He loved Martha, and he loved her sister, and he loved Lazarus. I love this next line in the message. But oddly. (laughs) Have you got a faith that allows for oddlies? Have you got a walk with God that allows for an oddly? But oddly. Oddly, no explanation, I don't understand it, it's not what I would like, but oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus, these are your friends, these are your peeps, these are your followers, these are the ones that cook you dinner, these are the ones that give you a bed at night, they need you now. Jesus says, you know what, it's going to be an occasion I'm staying put. And after two days, he said to his disciples, okay, now let's go back to Judea. And what you've got to understand is that when you go on the long way round, it is never, never just about you. When God takes your life on a long way round, it is always about a much bigger picture that we may not understand and we may not have chosen, but we must trust the God who has every detail in his hands that he knows what he's doing. And so now, instead of an instant like the woman whose coffin was touched and an instant happened, now this is starting to involve other people. So Jesus says, okay, to his disciples, now you're going to follow me, let's go. And he begins to take his disciples on a journey with him of a miracle for somebody else, but he involves them in this other guy's miracle. So they say to him, Rabbi, I love the disciples, Jesus, you can't do that. I mean, I know you're Jesus, but we're the disciples, and you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you. You can't go back there. Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight doesn't stumble because there is plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. And he said these things and then he announced to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Note it, fallen asleep. His perspective and our perspective are often a million miles apart. He's just fallen asleep and I'm gonna go and wake him up. The disciples said, gotta love him. Master, 
If he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest. (laughs) And he'll wake up feeling just fine. Jesus was talking about death, and they thought he was talking about taking a nap. And then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. Listen to this next line. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Because you are about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go. In other words, on the way to the long way round miracle, Jesus is taking his disciples to faith school. He is teaching these boys a lesson on the way to Lazarus about where their faith is at. And he begins on the way to somebody else's prayer request to involve a group of guys and says, you know what, boys, I'm glad I wasn't there, not for Lazarus's sake, but for your sake, because I am going to teach you something. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize that this miracle is not like that miracle. They may look the same. But it's not the same because now this miracle has layers. And all of a sudden, on the way to your miracle, somebody else starts to be blessed. When I was newly married and a few years into married, we decided to start trying for children. We started to try for kids and believe God for a family. And you know, I had a perfect plan like most women do. This is when I get married. This is when the babies arrive. This is when I do this. This is whatever. Well, you know, God didn't adhere to my plan. And I thought he would. And I went to a doctor after much trying and the doctor told me because of some complications in my health that I live with, he told me, you know what, you are, you know, you are not going to be able to conceive. You're just not going to be able to have kids. And I remember receiving that news and sending a word to Jesus like Mary and Martha. Hey, the one you love is sick. So sort it out. (laughs) I did not know what I know now. I did not know that the message came back saying, I got you, but you're going the long way around. I didn't know that my path was not going to happen instantly, but it would be over five years of fertility treatments that we would have to endure before we received a miracle. I did not know that. And I thank God that I didn't because I would have quit if I'd have seen the small print. But what happened was instead of receiving the instant, I began a journey and my journey began to involve a lot of people. See, my journey involved doctors and clinics and sitting in waiting rooms with other women that were barren and yet they didn't know God and I had hope where they had none. And I began to sat around with a group of people that were struggling and I began to make a connection in my mind. Maybe, just maybe, my miracle is not just about me. Maybe, just maybe, on my journey, I am supposed to help somebody else. And on the way to Lazarus, there is another miracle that happens for the disciples who are now growing in their faith, who are now seeing a side of Jesus they have not seen before, who have been schooled on the journey. And he's saying to them, boys, you think you've got me discovered. You think you know about me, but I need to reveal another aspect of myself to you. I need you to lift your level. I need you to grow in your faith. And all of a sudden they are part of the equation. But see, the long way around keeps collecting people on the way. So the disciples were the first, but now he's moving on. And he's about to deal with what some of you are in here. And this is you. And I have got your number and I am busting you today. 
because he is about to deal with the control freak in the room. <laughs> oh, yes, he is. Because he's about to meet Martha, and he's about to deal with Martha. So look out, Martha, in this room. So he arrives in town. Now we get down to verse 17. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus was already four days dead. People, that's dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Mary and Martha, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming, and she went out to meet him while Mary remained in the house. Of course she did. Martha was the control freak. Mary, I'll get to her in a minute, was the emotional basket case. (laughs) And we'll deal with you too. Here's Martha. Here's Martha, okay? Martha is the sister, you know, remember she cooked and she got mad with Mary because he sat at the feet. She's the older sister, any older sisters in the room? I'm the oldest sister, I am the control freak. So, you know, you know we, we remind all the other sisters it's mom's birthday, we remind everybody what they're supposed to do and when because the older sister just does. The older sister's always in the kitchen whilst the others are watching TV, it's just the way it goes. You know what I'm saying? I'm not bitter, it's just a lot in life. So Martha is older sister. And Martha, when this had happened in their world, Martha went into the mode that all elder sisters do, control, damage, limitation. So Martha is dealing with it. Mary's crying, snot's flying, but Martha hears, Jesus is on his way, she's out the door. She's gonna greet Jesus, meet Jesus, and have a few words with Jesus. So here's Martha. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I love how she kind of makes it sound spiritual. And even now, I know whatever you ask God, he will give you. (laughs) Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. And Martha replied, yes, yes, I know. He'll be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. Lovely Jesus, but we all know you're late. I know you're late. You know you're late. So, you know, let's just move on here. All the nice scriptures, whatever. You know, four days dead. You're not here on time. You know, I've controlled the situation. Lovely speech, Jesus. But, you know, moving along is what she's doing here. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Martha, do you believe? Do you believe? And you know, some of you here today, you are on your long way around and you have done damage limitation for Jesus. You've tidied up what it is that you feel disappointed he hasn't come through. You've even got a scripture to justify it. You've put a lid on it. You've walked away from it. You've said, you know what, que sera, that's what happens sometimes. And you have got kind of the whole deal controlled. And you know what? I need you to know that Jesus wants to look you in the eye and say, do you believe I am who I say I am? Or am I just now a controlled case scenario for you? And when I was going through infertility, I'm telling you, God busted the control freak in me because I had scriptures for my disappointment. I had words to control my anger. I, I had the whole thing down. You know, I was controlling. I was doing a good PR campaign for Jesus. 
You know, you haven't come through for me. I'm, I'm dealing with it. You know, that's kind of, you know, the way it is. And I felt God say to me, I am challenging you to the core of what you believe and what you stand on because you can stand for five minutes for something, but standing for five years for something is a whole nother level of standing. And I found the very things that I preached and practiced in my ministry, I had to take to the wall and back again. I had to say, like Becca said this morning, Yes, his joy is my strength, even though I feel joyless. I had to say, you know what? His peace passes understanding, even though I am totally confused. I had to take things that I had said a million times in church and actually walk them out because I was busted. And God is after some of your control freak mechanisms that kick in when you are disappointed and you put a false face on you. You put your church face on. And you do church like, well, you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine. And you're not fine. But you're trying to control it. And you're trying to minimize it. And you're trying to do God's job for him. And there's just sometimes we have to go, I have no idea why this is happening to me. I don't know what's going on right now. But I know whose I am. I know who he is. And I'm sure there's a purpose in this pain that I'm supposed to find. And all of a sudden now, Martha is involved in this miracle. Now Jesus is confronting things in her. See, she'd been around Jesus a lot. She'd had him in her home. She knew him. She'd fed him. But he says, Martha, do you really know me? I mean, do you really believe? And, and, and now on the way to someone else's miracle, Martha's faith is being tested. Her controls are being undone as God begins to speak through his son into her life and begin to manifest in a different way to her life and to her call as a woman of God. You know, when I was going through my infertility, I remember one time I was on the platform and we'd not told people in our church what we were going through. We kind of kept the control to ourselves. And you know, sometimes it's good to do that, not share with everybody and keep that thing that you're just standing with God. But I remember being on the platform leading a service and I was worshiping. I remember God saying to me, I want you to turn around. I want you to go down the steps. There's going to be a couple come forward and I want you to pray for them to have a baby. I'm about three, three and a half years into my infertility. You know, you can make anything look spiritual. So I had my back to the church. They're all worshiping. I was like, I do not think so. I am not going forward and praying for that couple. I am not in not doing it. I am fed up. I am annoyed. You know, we're all singing and it looks very spiritual in the worship. You look like you're just really, you know, worshiping. But I am full on having a fist fight in the spirit with Jesus. I'm like, no way, no how. And I felt God go, you're not going to take control of this situation. You have a choice to make. You control it or you do as you're told. And even though I did not feel like it, even though everything about me felt like, why should I? I went down the steps. I'd like to say I did it with grace and splendor and it was awesome, but that poor couple. I went down the steps and went, hi, you want a baby, don't you? Great, okay, I'm going to pray. That was it. They were like, they didn't even tell me they wanted a baby. They were like, I was like, okay, yeah, close your eyes. And Lord, you know, pray that you give him a baby. Amen. And I went back upstairs. <laughs> I mean, that was it. That was it. it that was as short as that. They were like, went back to their seats. I went back on the platform like, you happy now? You know, like, I would just, you know. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'll never forget a few weeks, a few months later, 
This couple come running down the front, same couple. I just knew it. I was like, everything about me wanted to run out the door. They come running down, you're never going to guess what. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm totally going to guess what. I am totally going to guess what. We're pregnant. I was like, yay for you. And then they said this, we're not even believers. I know. Not even believers. We just came and we thought you were kind of a medium or a spiritualist because you said we need a baby and we're not even told you and you like read our minds. And I was like, oh. Like, it's awesome. And, you know, we just came back to say thank you. See ya. <laughs> I mean, I was so out of control at this point. It was ridiculous. And I felt God say, you can either pass on a blessing in your pain or you can stay inside the prison. You decide. So I decided from that day, okay, any pregnant person that passes my path, I will throw a baby shower for. I mean, I must have thrown a hundred baby showers. I was broke. My husband's like, how many more baby showers are we throwing? I'm like, however many more pregnant people walk past me. I just see strangers in church go, you're pregnant. I'm throwing your pie. They'd be like, you are? I'm like, yes, I am. I just decided, you know what? I'm going to use this season to break something in me that I have got locked up in. And he was doing the same with Martha, who was trying to put Jesus in a controlled situation. And so she begins to learn. Now he's about to get to Mary, the emotional basket case. Hello. All you Marys in the room, get your tissues ready. You know you have them. You come to church with them. Just in case anyone will offer you a shoulder to cry on, you're ready. You got it ready. Verse 29. So then Mary hears that Jesus is in town. So the moment she heard, she jumped to her feet and she ran out to him. Jesus had not even entered the town. He was still at the place where Martha had met him and her Jewish sympathizing friends, love this, saw Mary run off and they followed her thinking, oh, she's just on her way to change weeping positions. I mean, we're going to the tomb now to weep. We can't possibly do anything productive because all we do is we're her weeping partners. And some of you have got a whole bunch of weeping friends. And you go to conference to weep, and then you go to church to weep, and then you go to your friend's house to weep, and then you go over to that girlfriend's house to weep, and then you find another conference online that you can go weep at, and then you go for counseling to weep, and we all go weep together. That's all we do. We're just a whole bunch of snot. And so they think she's just changing weeping positions. And Mary came to where Jesus was waiting. She fell at his feet. She said, Master, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. And he said, where did you put him? And you know, there's a point where Jesus wants you to understand the emotion is okay, but you cannot let the emotion run your life. Some of you are emotional wrecks because you are so frustrated on the long way around that now your tears have replaced your trust and, and, and you've just let your emotions run havoc with you. And Mary was like that. And I love what happens next because Jesus then weeps. It says, Jesus then wept, but then he wept and then he stopped. It's like he was giving her a demonstration. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to feel the pain, but you have to then tell the pain, enough's enough. The tears, enough's enough. You know what? Jesus has just showed up, so you need to move aside. And all of a sudden now Mary is involved in being helped by Jesus in her journey. And another layer begins to come on. But the great thing about this is, listen to me, I've got a few minutes left, but I'm going to preach fast. Not that I haven't been preaching fast. Even faster. 
What happens next is this amazing thing because Mary all of a sudden is getting help. But see, what did Jesus say? This will become an occasion. And you see, enough times pass by that now it's not just Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now there's a whole group of people. It's amazing when God doesn't come through for you that the group gathers around you. It's amazing how when you don't get your miracle, all of a sudden people that used to come to the church begin to ring you. Say, are you all right? When things don't work out like you said there, all the sympathizers come around you and there's a whole crowd of those people around them, a whole crowd of critics around them. And now Jesus sees the crowd and he sees Mary and all these people and his anger's wept up and he cries. Then verse 36, the Jews speak up and they go, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he loved them so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? Well, you know, if they tithe so much, why are they in such a mess? Well, you know, if they're so goody two-shoes, how come their husband walked out on them? Well, you know, they called themselves Christians. How come they're sick? It's amazing how on an occasion, everybody starts to gather. And that's why some of us have to understand God's going to use our lives for an occasion to glorify Him. So don't worry if your critics are around the gravestone. Don't worry if all the critical people show up. It's usually a sign that God's about to do something pretty awesome. He just wanted them there to witness it. So if all your naysayers are around your life and all those ones that said, I told you people would leave, I told you the church would be in trouble, I told this would happen, you're like, you know what? You have a seat because you're about to have a front row experience of what God can do. Do not be frightened when the critics show up. It's just been long enough for a crowd to gather, for people to start speaking up. And Jesus hears them, he hears what they're saying and he says, Then Jesus' anger welled up in him again. He arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. I'm going to ask the keyboard player to come up. Remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, listen to this. The sister of the dead man, Martha, I love it. But says to him, but, uh, uh, hang on a minute, control freak, she can't help herself. Uh, hang on a minute, uh, there'll be a smell. It's been four days. Just let me get my candles, my aromatherapy oils. I mean, you know, Jesus, just let me help you out here. You know, just let me spray the room. Let me get the Febreze out. You know, it's going to be awful in there. Let me, you know, do, do something so it's not so embarrassing for you, Jesus. She can't help herself. Let me just tidy this up for you, Jesus. Damage limitation is here. Listen, and Jesus looked her in the eye and said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then he said to the others, now go ahead and take away the stone. And they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes to heaven, listen, and prayed, Father, I am grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do. And on account of this crowd standing here, I have spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. And then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out and he was wrapped from head to toe with a kerchief over his face. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. And all of a sudden, Jesus produces a miracle for Mary and Martha, which was the same miracle 
for a woman with her son. Hang on a minute. It's not quite the same miracle. You see, suddenlies give you a payoff. But long way rounds are an investment. And when God takes you on a long way round, you have to realize He will get you there, whatever that looks like. Whether it's the launch of a dream, whether it's the realization of a widow's ministry that becomes an occasion through which He is glorified, which other people would have left the tomb and said, where is God in this? And yet there's a crowd now gathered to find out about a God who can break through even the worst of circumstance. See, God waits. And if you go back on your long way round, you'll find yourself that when you were in the waiting room, on your waiting, I witnessed to women in the waiting room that gave their life to Christ and you realize they were on my long way round. And then I'll remember the couple who I prayed for when I didn't feel like praying for them, who now are conceived and had a baby and have a family who were on my long way round. And then I'll remember the critics that said, if you're such a good Christian, why are you infertile? Why is God made you barren? And I'll remember the day five years on when He opened my womb and I conceived with our daughter Hope Cherish and I held her before our church as a miracle sign and a wonder and I remember when I come to a place like this and I now years later nine years later make her story an occasion for God to be glorified and when I add up my long way round I find I have double for my trouble. And I want hope to be restored today. I want you to get on the inside of you what God is trying to get on the inside of you, which is that sometimes in your life, He is the captain of your aircraft. And sometimes He will say, even when you don't want Him to, baby girl, you put your seatbelt on. We are going to get there. But today, we're going the long way around. And we must be mature enough as believers to say, I, I, captain, I am on this plane. I'm not going to try and parachute out. I'm not going to say I don't want this lot in life. I'm not going to complain about the circumstance you've given me. I am going to be one of those who looks for the disciple, who looks for the control freak, who looks for the emotional, who looks for the critical and says to them, follow me. I don't know when I'm going to get my come forth moment, but you keep tracking with me because I'm on a journey and my journey's making me stronger and my journey's making me bigger and my journey's increasing my life. And I'm telling you, God is with you on the long way around. Don't you dare quit. Don't you dare quit. Don't let critics shut you down. Don't let critics keep the tomb covered. Don't you dare get intimidated by the crowd that are naysaying behind your life. Don't you dare let disappointment put you into a position of not believing anymore. You must hear His voice. He is speaking loud and clear. He wants to be glorified in your life. 
And you know, suddenly may glorify Him in one way, but long way rounds, let me tell you, they scoop up a whole load more people that would never have normally known about God if you hadn't been in the waiting room, if you hadn't been in that situation, if you hadn't had to go for that appointment. You would have never met those people. And I need you today to stop looking at your journey like poor old me, God has forgotten me. No, He has not. He'd not forgotten one thing about you. He's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to keep you in a place of pain, but bad stuff happens. Things happen, but they happen in our lives. And when they land into our lives, they meet a believer. They meet someone who like Mary and like Martha have to have eyeball contact with God. And he's all saying to you, do you believe? I mean, do you? And you know, I just had to get to the point where the control freak in me stopped telling God what my children needed to look like when they should arrive. And I had to say to God, I might never have a child, but I might adopt. I, I might never have one of my own, but I'm totally going to trust you. And, and I had to let go of the control. I had to stop telling God what it had to look like. And I had to trust Him on the way. And I'm letting you know that God does His finest work on the long way around. And we've got to speak about that God. We've got to tell each other about that God. We've got to say, baby, I'm like lapping this lap for the eighth time, but I'm still in my seat because I know God's not going to crash this aircraft anytime soon. And I heard this morning about a ministry that was born from a long way round. I heard about a single mama who's been the long way round, but her greatest days are ahead. And now her story of a marriage breakup has given you some hope in here who feel hopeless in your marriages. Why? Because she took the glory of God into her long way round and she testified and she gave it an occasion for God to be glorified. There is no shame in having to wait. There is no shame in having to wait. Time has gone. But you know what? If you're on a long way around, just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet, you amazing woman of God. Just stand to your feet. Let's own that zone. Yeah, let's own it. Let's own it. Some of you are going through cancer treatments. Some of you are dealing with illnesses that are debilitating. Some of you are going through loss. Some of you are going through infertility like I did. You're on a long way around, maybe in your marriage, maybe in a ministry, even situation where you said, God, I expected you to come through and you've not. You know, why is this taking so long? God is speaking over your life. I will get you there. And you must believe again. You've got to believe again. Just close your eyes where you are. Father, I pray right now in this room. Oh God, how many times do we cry out for the suddenlies? Our infantile immaturity requests us suddenly. And yet God, you look at us like you looked at Lazarus's family as friends. And God, I don't understand and we don't always understand or pretend to. But I know that when we are friends with you, you expect us to trust you more. You expect us to believe you more, just like a child that grows with a parent in its trust and in its leaning on them and just understanding of them. God, I pray today that we will be reminded that you are the God, not just of suddenlies, but of the slowlies too. And I pray today that every woman that's put her faith down would pick it back up again. 
I pray for every control freak in this room that is trying to tidy you up, that they would stop it and they would just simply trust you. I pray for every weeping, wailing Mary in this room, that her tears would be wiped and her head would be lifted to the one that is the saviour of her life. I pray for every critical person that has gathered around these families and people that you would do something so miraculous in them that you would shut the mouth of every naysayer that you would silence every critical voice Lord I pray that you would find amongst us women that are mature enough that are deep enough that are strong enough to endure a long way round knowing that when you say it will be an occasion it will be an occasion And I pray for every woman that is on that journey, strength, joy unspeakable, vitality, life, faith arise again, hope be stirred again. And I pray that they would hear you in the coming weeks, months, or maybe years, but they would hear you say, come forth, come forth. We believe in the God that can call anything forth. And so, God, we trust you. We believe you. We eyeball, as it were, you with our spirit and say, God, I believe again. You are good to your word and it will not return void. And I thank you in advance for the miracle that you have planned for my life, whatever it looks like. God, I welcome it. I say yes, God, and I let you be the God that is glorified in every area. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Do not give in. Time's gone. Time's gone. I'm going to hand back to the team here. I may see some of you over the weekend in a few hours at church, but if not, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've been a joy to teach.